Welcome to the Limulus, the walking podcast between the valleys and hills of Galicia. This is Jason Horsley. Again, this time I'm doing a solo thing, which uh, is a compendium of walking recordings plus the intro to this week's men's affinity group. You just can't see. March the 9th, 2021, 9am, it's beautiful, and uh, on the range, with the sun shining, but it's misty, crows are calling, it's like I'm in a, another dimension, nature dimension. Wearing my poncho, debuting it in, in the outdoors. It feels comfortable. I mean, of course, but it feels feels right. It fits with the with the nature. Of course, there's a good camouflage car as well. It's a weird thing. This going back to childhood late childhood, my Clint fixation and now the, seeing the, the correlation between the gunfighter and the prophet and of course the poncho is prophet-like as well. So when, I, when I last wore a poncho was when I went to Morocco and I found out that that was the old way of dressing the ponchos before they had the modern jalabas. The middle ages they wore similar to what I was wearing that was what I was told anyway I was definitely in my full profit mode back then I mean the identification with it not not the function necessarily I think I've always been in that function and not in the sense of foretelling the future exactly, but calling to reason and, and denouncing the evils of our time kind of guise function. Tuka's still gone, and it's five nights, five days now, so that's the limit. So he's never been gone that long, longer than that before, as far as I recall. And, I have to say my equanimity is failing me at this point, starting to fear the worst and in this weird contradictory way resent him for making me worry, causing me to worry. Um, I can see the way through that if it doesn't just end in mourning, and of course I won't resent him, I find him dead, but uh, if, he's, if he's gone longer, which he will be, 
longer than this second anyway. And uh, well, I suppose if it comes back, what I'm saying, but maybe before that, that I can keep letting myself go through and potentially out the other side and tuning into deeper levels of acquiescence, acceptance of the reality that Tuco is in nature, dead or alive, and and that's uh, the only place that he needs to be and there isn't an alternative besides having a domestic catered cat and well I don't it's fine for some people but it's, apparently it's not fine for me so but I do I am concerned about my own animus if he shows up dead or continues to stay away because uh, it, um, it's going to destabilize, may destabilize me. And uh, it doesn't seem like such a good time for to be destabilized anyway, but case sarah sarah. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, I'm walking into the mist now, <laughs> I don't really see uh, more than about 50 feet ahead. Um, that's entirely unrelated, I mean, it's, it's, it's an abstract point that is occurring to me around this mRNA, the Pfizer implant. Uh, I think it's fair to call it an implant, unless it's a complete hoax, liquid, I mean, it's just water or something, I presume, I don't know actually, if it's, is it just liquid, I presume it is, so it's nanotech or something, if it is uh, you know, as virulent and intrusive as, as I suspect. Um, I think I did this before, I ended up hitting a ditch. Um, anyway, digression around that. Well, because I noticed a little bit of pushback on Twitter when I pulled out the stops thinking, oh, I'll just get banned from Twitter rather than shutting down my account. And, or well, somebody suggested it. It seemed like a reasonable suggestion. And uh, so I, I just did a series of tweets that were deliberately provocative and unambiguous, mostly about COVID and the virus, I mean the vaccine. Uh, swampy water. And um, so there was, well, one person who said he'd had the vaccine, so he hoped I was wrong. And there was another person who said, that they thought it was fake fear-mongering and that there wasn't anything to it and there was a, another, um, what's his name, what was he, Pate Lenz who interviewed me way back in the day Neil Murphy 
This is a bit of a stoner. It seemed like some sort of new agey Burning Man kind of vibe to him. But I didn't dislike him. He was simpatico, I just he didn't seem very solid. Anyway, he said that he now believed that the the real conspiracy was all the conspiracy theorizing. And uh I tweeted back about that, about that. Well, first, uh, first there's no conspiracy, then there's, it's a conspiracy, and then there's, oh, the only conspiracy is, is, is to make us believe that there's a conspiracy. So, wow, they really covered all the bases, they got stitched up, so, what I'm perceiving now, people got yeah, peak conspiracy theory, people got conspiracy fatigue, and they're going back to the mainstream viewpoint because they're so shell-shocked and burned out by the conspiracy data, combination of it being overwhelming in its very nature, in, in a number of different ways, I mean just sheer density of it, but also the darkness of it, with it being um, commercialized, mainstreamized, uh, dumbed down, polluted, mixed with bullshit, etc, etc. And because people, well people have been conditioned over the generations to have an innate incapacity to think for themselves combined with a with a, a desperate need to refer to outside authority they will eventually cave under this this pressure and uh, lost my thread Heading into the town, the town, to the village where the, the cat killing dog is, and I, I want to ask the owner if it's killed any cats recently, but I'm also aware that uh, trying to resolve this might, might actually defeat the purpose of it. It's a fine line between managing one's anxiety and allowing it to be there well and get being overwhelmed by it or destabilized by it over managing I should say. I don't suppose there's any harm in doing a little management calming the nervous system. I ran into the owner of the dog and, and then Weirdly, as I was talking to her, and I casually asked how it was, and then the dog, and then had it kill any cats recently, and then told her why I'd asked, and then as well, she said no, and while we were talking, the dog came out of the mist, and it had something in its mouth, and the woman said, puppy, puppy, what is that in its mouth? And, uh, of course I had a moment of some trepidation, I imagine the timing of that, but it was, uh, 
It's the leg of a calf. Don't presume he had died. There's oh, this puppy. Anyway, she said what others have said that cats go very far, they travel far. Of course, Tuca's a part of me, connected to me. The more that he does get to know the land and go on his missions, <laughs> the better, essentially. Can't really cook his wings, and I wouldn't want to, and I can't anyway. Okay, puppy. Okay, puppy. <laughs> so back to the uh, conspiracy conundrum. Uh, also, back to recently, he seems to be have done the same thing. He's, uh, I mean, not that he was ever very versed at all on conspiracy, but I don't think. Well, any of these people who are doing this about turn, about face, could be. You can't really. It's, they've reached a certain point and then they've. Um, well, I think it's built there into the material. It, it somehow sabotages the cognitive faculties. And it's Frank and Maris has talked about this, and I have too, that there's something in the conspiracy-related material when, when it adds a narrative to it, a through line, tries to make sense of it prematurely. Uh, a la David Icke and Alex Jones. It, uh, it's infected with the thinking of the of the of the aggrandizers, so it hmm, might not be able to get through this way at all. Um, I mean, the cliche about this is it's disempowering, uh, and it certainly can be that, but it's also. It has the opposite effect in that it it fires up outrage and indignation and a false sense of empowerment and the desire to oppose the conspiracy quote unquote which also uh, that's an aggrandizer mentality that's more insidious even than the, than just uh fermenting docility and paralysis. Um, but there's something subtler still. Which I may not be able to articulate, but I've tried in the past. Uh, it relates to the fact that one can't really know these agendas from the outside. One has to... It's, it's, 
it's ironic, symmetrical, one has to actually allow oneself to think the way that, that the, the um, social engineers think in order to really understand the nature and the configuration of it. And people don't, they can't do that. They can't do that if they're disempowered and feel like victims, and they can't do it if they're angrily opposed to disapproving of the, the agendas. You can only do it if one is approaching it dispassionately and uh, rigorously and uh, methodically not jumping to conclusions and joining dots. Dots have to join themselves to get close enough like oil bubbles that they they, they, they merge and then the picture starts to emerge. Uh, so because of the experience of the futility of understanding the agendas I'm going to say agenda singular because there is a single agenda, but it's it would of course transcend human groups. There's many human agendas, and some work together and some work against each other. Then there's a, a more unified human grouping and agenda that is trying to. Uh, trying to anticipate and coordinate these other lower, lesser, more multiple human agendas and that, but then that, that's also, I mean there might even be two fighting, I don't even know there, uh, it's possible that there's two main human groups fighting. Uh, but anyway, over that there's the, the, uh, the unconscious, distorted, inverted anti-life aspect of the human energy field which corresponds with spirits of darkness, uh, ancestral uh, ghosts and or sorcerers, uh, etc. That, that aspect of existence that obviously is very difficult to know about. Uh, I mean Rudolf, yeah, he seemed to be t pretty tuned into that stuff, but he didn't, he didn't talk much about the, the human aspect of the spirits of darkness. He did refer to it. There's no doubt human organizations, secret societies, uh, that aren't socio-political in their nature and configuration and that manipulate socio-political apparatus. I don't think there's much doubt about that going on. And so it's a, I mean that's the that's the crazy thing that David Icke's his model isn't wrong, I don't think. And yet it is. It's uh It's unearned knowledge. Uh, it's purely mind-based, conceptual, and it, 
it's based on a model, a, fra a fragmented and dissociated and disembodied model and perception and interpretation of reality, uh, which is itself central to the agenda. So it does reinforce the disconnect, the fragmentation, and the disassociations, truth weaponized. But so, and, and this, so this latest quirk could be the final symptom, really, of the death of human free thought is uh, to. Um, Lost the thread again. The death of human free thought. That uh, because as people have the experience of the, f the futility and the essential wrong framing and wrong angle approach of the mainstream conspiracy narratives. They back away, but not in order to approach from a different angle. They back away to back away, and they keep backing away, saying, this can't be right, this can't be right. And then they back away not just from the narratives, but from the data too, the facts. Because the facts are now permanently associated with the conspiracy narratives. Probably gonna get lost if I go this way. I'm about to stay on this. That's funny with the mist. It really does make nature a lot more deceptive or tricky. So yeah, they back away from the facts, and of course they end up backing right back into the consensus reality. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Uh, tunnel matrix. Not real, not realizing it. Think, thinking that somehow they've gone gone up a level, because now they've seen. Oh, they were they were just being tricked to believe these things. That was the second matrix, and now they've made it through the first. Oh, and they've made it through the second now, and now they're. It seems to coincide with a sort of spiritualized perspective. Of, well, we're all consciousness, and what's really happening is subtler and it's all good well they might not go that far <laughs> but anyway shouldn't fixate on this on this dark stuff as obviously as many different rationalizations as there are people individuals around here but the main result is just that from what I've seen they're not looking at the facts anymore so around the Pfizer virus vaccine just a single article that I found in five minutes last really because I did two search one searches one was for the mark of the beast uh, with the vaccine and the other was just for genetic alteration whether it alters the, the DNA and there's a bunch of articles denying it which I need to look at because that probably will provide the evidence inadvertently that it is, because whatever they're denying is probably true. Some of it, I mean, not all of it, but 
uh, and that tends to be how that works and although that said I don't know if there are any credible or, or, or thought out claims about because I don't know who has access to how this mRNA stuff is supposed to work but anyway I need to spend more time on that uh, what was my point there that one article which didn't get into that aspect but still it came up with my first search was enough about the corporate interests and the fudging of research and the, the kind of organizations involved and the obvious motivations it was it was enough within 10 minutes to confirm what I already knew which is that if this this uh, Pfizer virus vaccine was actually doing anyone good it would be a, a miracle a miracle of just a pure fluke that somehow despite all of the the uh, lack of ethics and responsibility or good intentions behind it, it somehow turned out that it, it worked. It would just be, it would be the equivalent of uh, the hundred monkeys typing the works of Shakespeare scenario without eternity to do it, obviously, just in a few months. So, obviously, it's not, it's not a good thing. And anyone who really is on the fence about that is an idiot, as far as I'm concerned. I know I shouldn't say that, because obviously it, it, they're not all idiots. But I can't, I can't help myself. What the hell's happening to human thought? It's being eaten away, eroded, and it's not on both sides. It's not just the dark, paranoid stuff that's eating away. It's the light, spiritualized stuff as well. It's terrifying. They're coming on both sides, the brain eaters. No one's making any noise now. We've been waiting for so long. They took away our films and tapes and notebooks. It's okay, we self-censored this song. But these lines are all individuals. And there's no such thing as a song. Even the silence are now guilty in me Empire of the senseless What's your line of questioning, sir? Empire of the senseless I can't intercept a one-word sentence Invent a war in secrecy Sliding scenery like a vintage toy Plastic surgery, wonderful Satellite secret national security Turning journalists into heroes takes some doing Boring Ollie North down in the subway Dealing drugs and guns Turning little liars into heroes It's what they've always done Empire of the senseless This song promotes homosexuality 
you've never used it before. That's what happens if you don't use the thing, it just, it just ent entropies, atrophies. And, uh, well, I mean, I know I wasn't using my brain when I was writing Lucid View. I really thought I was. I was using the parts of it that had been implanted and microchipped and uh, remote controlled by the uh, subtle, intricate forms of propaganda and coercion. Unfortunately, I had a guiding intelligence. And, this is, and so there is some truth coming through, and, but it's been a question of reducing the, uh, the noise of the cultural indoctrination programming to increase the signal of the guiding intelligence through my writing and and through my research, and and here's the thing, is that I am not becoming less paranoid, I'm becoming more and more paranoid, more and more conspiratorially minded, and uh, more and more convinced that we're in a truly terrible spot. So, do the math there, people. If you go through the first matrix, and through the second matrix, you don't just come out in some lovely field of poppies where you can sleep for the rest of your life dreaming of electric virgins. It doesn't happen. It's deeper and deeper into the darkness. That's our trajectory. But it's, it's all right. It really is alright. I think it's just, just not to suspend disbelief at any time and not to throw out the the baby with the bathwater when it comes to hard information. Hard to swallow, hard to handle, but also hard to refute the facts of the matter. Yes, of course there is the the final liminal position that we don't know anything except that we're experiencing existence and that we exist. Sure. And then the second level, well, we don't really know anything, we don't directly experience the earth beneath our feet, the mist and the sun and the pulse of our blood and those things we have a secondary knowing about, even though we can't be sure it's what it appears. And then the third level, well, we can check information, sources, testimonies, what people say, tune in to the medium to determine the validity of the message. We can develop those tools. So that 
although we won't forget the liminal truth that we can't know for sure, we can know to our own satisfaction. And then we can speak, articulate, check it that way too. If I say this, how does my body feel? My body will tell us if we're telling the truth or not. People are giving up and they don't even know it. They give up when you believe anything, effectively. Now, from the outside one can't necessarily tell. And I may act and speak like I believe something. And it may be either that I don't believe it and I'm just making a point, taking the point of view that, as Dave says a lot, or I know it, but I can't prove it and I can't really know how I know it. And I can't even know that I do know it. I just know it. And later, when the dust has settled, then I'll know that I knew it. There are certainly plenty of experiences we've all had like that. Loved one dies, for example, we feel it. Oh, he's going to die, we feel it. And so we know it then, but we don't know that we know it. We, we have to believe or not believe. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, I can't be sure. Right now I know, my body knows if Tuco's alive or dead. I believe he's alive and okay. But that's, uh, that's my mind's interpretation of everything, the evidence, inner and outer, and it's not even a conclusion, it's a hypothesis. Uh, with the, vac the Pfizer vaccine, I strongly, strongly believe that it's deeply destructive and designed that way because I just don't see it seems consistent with the larger agendas that work for decades and a couple hundred years at least uh, that I've mapped in my own work it seems consistent with it Steiner warned about it there's a number of things now the view, oh well it's all theatre and it's all a hoax, that requires as elaborate a conspiracy for less gain. Admittedly it's a bit easier to hoax a vaccine and make people believe it's some terrible thing in order to mess with them that way. But here's the bottom line, even if it is that, it's just a red herring in a sea of red herrings. The harm, although not as great and not as literal, not as literally physical to the DNA, is nonetheless profound because to accept a supposed miracle solution in the context that it's being accepted, which is with all of this information available to anyone who looks about the, the lack of safety of the vaccine, the lack of ethics involved in its creation, the, the rank corruption of the organisations and the corporations involved, etc, etc. I could carry on for five minutes, but I wouldn't want to, to accept a supposed solution under those conditions itself is the denial 
of one's own instincts and intuitions and common sense. And that itself is to fragment and compartmentalize. Whenever we do something that we know in our blood and our bones is wrong, then we disassociate and we disembody further. And somehow this relates to how the Pfizer vaccine does meet requirements of the mark of the beast, at least in some ways, including ways that Christians are denying, based on my short research, insofar as it uh, entails a form of worship, worship of a false idol. Now, Christians apparently say, well, the mark of the beast was it was all about how when you, you had used money, you had to say, Hail Caesar, and the Christian couldn't do that. He'd say, Hail Jesus, and then he'd, he'd get shunned or martyred. I don't know enough of the history of it, but if I can go that way, I'll try it. Uh, but, what was I going to say? Um, as soon as this, this Christ said, render unto Caesar, so he's saying, well, you can't you can say, hell, Caesar, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But, um, Yes, the Christians are saying, some of them, that the Pfizer vaccine doesn't fit that because to, to receive it, accept it, you don't have to renounce Christ and you don't have to pledge your allegiance to, to Caesar or the state. Well, certainly with the latter, I beg to differ, is my point, that to accept the Pfizer vaccine means suspending your own critical faculties your own body knowing an intuitive sense that this is a potentially pernicious thing. And of course the reasons being given the whole context is manufactured and dissembled and bullshit basically, high level bullshit. Um, so therefore one is essentially acting purely out of faith. It's, it's well, impure faith. But faith is the active ingredient of that that uh, shit loaf, and uh, it's faith in the medical institutions and the government. The combination of those two things, I'd say, primarily in science, big science, big pharma, big science, as if they were synonymous. Well, they practically are now. So that's number one. And now the sun is really shining. That it is a form of worship, subjugation to a false deity. As far as rejecting Christ, well, I don't know if there's a subtle thing here that I haven't thought of, but thou canst not serve two masters, see the God or mammon. So surely if one bows down to the beast, one is ipso facto rejecting Christ whether one actually consciously articulates it. 
I think the Christians believe and <laughs> they would have a vested interest in believing it, some of them. That as long as they don't actually say, fuck you Jesus, I'm going to worship the beast, then they're alright. They haven't succumbed to temptation. It's hard for me to believe as I say that, that anyone could be that witless, but I'm afraid I do believe that. That's how witless the Christian demographic has become. I did always feel that the Christians exhibited the, the poorest critical faculties of any combined body of humans. Although I think that the, uh, well, the whole human race is giving them Christians a run for its money. But I was going to say that the materialists and the scientific-minded and in academia might have uh, superseded, surpassed Christianity in the inane suspension of logic. Uh, but six or one half dozen the other and they're all you get cast in the lake of fire to make a big bloody omelette at this rate which no one's going to want to eat because it's going to be full of eggshells the surrendering of our life force to a great 
combine harvest, which is a, a technocratic superstructure of some kind. It's like a hyper, a hyper culture, hyper apparatus that is only partially embedded in the physical temporal realm it, it would seem to extend into the psychic psychosomatic into the subtler dimensions probably because it emerges from those dimensions so another thing is coming to mind here like an email I received somebody yesterday in Oz that one of the reasons that they feel that people are willing to suspend their disbelief and their critical faculties and common sense around the Pfizer non-vaccine implant is that they have family members and loved ones who are taking it and uh, the kind of cognitive dissonance that creates. And I responded that it's a good point, and I say this isn't talked about enough, that the, the tension and the difficulty of awakening to reality, becoming paranoid aware and beyond uh, is, is increased enormously. It's already hard by the by that difficulty of communicating to loved ones and and having to watch helplessly as one's, one's loved ones submit to draconian manipulations, internal colonizations, etc. So, and I responded, well, it's a good point, but uh, to stay in a burning building and and try and convince oneself that it's not on fire because one, one can't convince one's loved ones and one doesn't want to abandon them and suffer the guilt of it so then what does that leave? That, that doesn't really seem like that's uh, a good option so then what does that leave? That, that leaves the option of a of abandoning one's loved ones to the burning building I mean that, that's the only remaining option in the first level is the simplified metaphor I'm not saying there aren't nuances and variables there are uh, of course there are different ways to try, try and alert them but one has to leave the building that's the thing and one only has a limited amount of time so uh, if, if uh, wake, awakening or alerting one saving one's loved ones is going to prevent oneself from being saved then, well, nobody, everybody loses then. And uh, Dave has used the analogy many times on the plane how they say in the event of emergency, if you have children, be sure and put your safety mask on before that of your children. The reason being obvious that if you pass out while you're putting the mask on your children, you might... Uh, they, they, they will be worse off. They won't have 
anyone there to protect them or to finish putting the masks on if you've got more than one child. You've got to start with yourself. Save yourself first. If you're not saved, you cannot save anyone else. I mean, they're the Christians, I think, got it right. Um, so, and David talked recently about what it is to be saved. It was very succinct and simple. I'll have to listen to the replay. It was non-religious, of course. Related to the human energy field. And the natural mind. Fully landing in reality. In that field. But anyway, I'll uh, get back to you on that one. So... Yes, the loved ones. So, in the Gospel, Christ says, A man's foes are those of his own household. He says, Mother, I know you not. Who are you? This is my family. These are my friends. Those souls in the human energy field that are opening to reality and to their interconnectivity that are aligned with our own orientation and trajectory so that we can again perhaps like these oil bubbles get close enough to experience a merging into a single shared orientation and intent not a cult wouldn't be on the outside not really I mean, we need some outside activities to find one another and to tune into one another, but the real merging and alignment wouldn't be happening in a worldly dimension. Because of course anything that's visible and tangible can be neutralized by the great Satan. Satanu Akbar. Um, yeah, so, gosh, I mean, if Christ is saying you might have to kill your family members, didn't literally say that, Castaneda did, then certainly if we dial that down to metaphorical level, uh, we certainly can't be responsible to rescuing them or saving them, giving them priority because they're family members or because they're our loved ones. We just cannot, we cannot stay tuned into a line with and responsive, responsible to our own internal code of conduct, which would be a changing code, but naturally, just through the environment, not through hacking or interventions or nanotech or our the mRNA implants and actually changing codes that is specific to this, this single organism because we're cells as well as a body each cell has its own spin to mix metaphors there its own genetic content 
that's what's going to guide us, that's what is guiding us. And uh, we're like a um, Greg mold or whatever they call it, mushrooms, that we are, that the system, the underground latticework of connections between us, that's uh, what we can become aware of if we, ch if we go inward to tune into our own essential nature purpose then we're also tuning into one another and, and discovering that there's a connection, there's an under, underground connection we can communicate through it. We might not know that we're doing so as yet but nonetheless we are and if that's this is the Kim tunes which is not Many of you will know anything about, but anyway, uh, Q I M, can look it up. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's the thing that is the threat. That's the only real threat to empire and what's behind empire is that unification of cells and bodies through their own internally harmonized life force signal. And although I don't believe it really can be shut down or jammed, it doesn't mean they're not going to try. And uh, I, I can't be sure, I can't be sure that at least it could be interfered with or scrambled enough that the small window of time we have to connect and shall I say mobilize, dare I say mobilize, get back to nature, get realigned with our natures and with the earth before something happens, if it hasn't already happened before it's finally over except for the wailing and the gnashing of teeth uh, then then this mRNA thing or interferences of this sort was exactly what I would expect to be the the recourse, the ultimate weapon. I'm sure it's not the ultimate one. I mean, that would be optimistic. But uh, let's just say it's a it's an hors d'oeuvre for Antichrist. Or those who are taking it are the order of, I should say. Good God. Well, I guess all I can aspire to, if I make these audios and this one I'll share with everyone, 
is um, to get lighter and lighter the darker I get because I'm not going to get less dark but I can get more more bright and light in the darkness I'm not going to get less dark because it's not and well I'm, I'm a I'm a transmitter of the zeitgeist or nothing nothing at all I mean nothing I say has any value to anyone if it doesn't transmit the zeitgeist the spirit of the times and and there's something subtler even uh, which uh, I'd have to think of what the right word would be but a geist of some other kind of geist uh, so well I suppose also, and this I have to be a bit more wary about, the, the deeper people's denial becomes, the more resistant they are to hearing the uh, unpalatable truth, the more pressure that puts on those of us who are willing to see it and to speak it. And hence this, this uh, insight I had about how the prophets, like the gunslinger, he's not really welcome, but he's needed, and people listen to him and and uh, allow him to have a certain degree of power and influence, or at least say, uh, because they sense that the. To help us without that intervention, but a gunslinger has come to save the community, or a prophet has come to warn the people. Obviously, a paradox. You can't really care what those people think of how he achieves his end. He could be the most unpopular person in town, and he usually is. That's why he leaves at the end. So that's a bit contradictory with my movement towards community. Maybe I'll be like one of the shamans who just always lives on the edge of the community because no one wants to see him unless they have to. I think that would be alright with me. As long as, uh, as long as Tuka comes back once in a while. But more likely, uh, there'll be mellow times and there'll be harsh times and the, the spirit of the times will come up through others and there'll be an even distribution of, of wealth, of insight, of divine revelation <clears throat> which at the end of the day has to come through in action not in words and uh, this is where I'm willing to walk my talk or rather to talk my walk both that 
This is about turning away from society entirely. The, the various malevolent machinations that we can map, they're really only important to map so far as we need to make it out of the building, so we need to know some of the, the uh, configuration of that building, so we know where the exits are. And, most importantly of all, we need to see that the poison gas is coming in through the air conditioning, to change up the metaphor, make it closer to the truth, because if a fire, it's invisible gas, if a building was on fire, well, even the state that people are in now, they would probably notice in time, whereas I think, well, not necessarily in time, but they would notice before they died, at least, whereas what we have currently underway, most people aren't even going to know it until they're insentient. They'll never know it, except on the other side, and God only knows what's waiting for us there if we take the wrong exit. Is lonely, is only a blank space in the hallway, on the wallway, between the hangings of paintings of lonely, it ain't lonely at all. clip is an introductory segment from the recent Guy Dance Men's Affinity Group, uh, Tuesday, 9th of March. Okay, well, um, yeah, there's less, there's less than I usually like to have a meeting, but I'm not in a council. Uh, I'd say five is kind of baseline minimum, but anyway, haven't ever had to face that issue before and seems two of you are new I think I'm sure that we'll find ways to work with the smallness of the group I blame Dave he 
scheduled a replay for this time. So he's obviously threatened by my the possibility of me usurping his throne and figured out a way to poach my men from my group. Pretty straightforward really, strategy. But seriously, he I mentioned it um, just half an hour ago and he said he'd only just clocked that a couple of hours ago. And I believe him. <clears throat> so I've been the subject of today's meeting. Well, I'll change the way I end that sentence by saying it will be determined by you, us, all of us. So I don't know what it will be, but I was going to say I have a feeling it's going to be goodness versus evil. <laughs> the oldest story there is. Well, I actually was going to say goodness versus darkness. Because <clears throat> there are those who want only goodness. And I don't blame them. I feel the same way. But I mean specifically from Dave. And also those who feel like I'm a bad influence on Dave, which I, I've said that before and I find it quite flattering. I also find it very amusing. Um, I think it's quite naive. I actually just emailed Dave that a person who thinks this has an unrealistic idea about the equality of Dave and I, which I didn't ever expect to hear myself saying, but I don't think I can influence Dave particularly and disproportionately. Um, anyway, that, that's probably a bit of a side issue, but um, yeah, there are those who, who just want uncut, nice talk from Dave. Um, there's nobody who comes to my field who wants uncut niceness because they wouldn't be there if they did. Um, <clears throat> um, but anyway, I have I've certainly been. I think the, the the deeper context is you know how much darkness can we handle? Because if we get overwhelmed, we get triggered, we shut down, we go into fight flight mechanism, uh, and yeah, we we either fight or we flee. I know there's another a bunch of other possibilities, but those are the main. That's the main you know, polarity. And I was actually talking, thinking out loud about this recently around the whole conspiratorial mindset. It's occurring to me that, well, first of all, in terms of fight or flight, that the way that conspiracy uh, narratives that are generated in the media, you know, it used to be the alternate media, but now it's pretty mainstream. Um, they either engender fight or flight. They either cause in us a sense of powerlessness and identification with victim, and we just want to withdraw from the horror, even when we might still be fascinated by the conspiracies, but we're still can, can get more and more overwhelmed by the reality of the world. Or they push us into a fight mode and think we've got to, overcome these oppressors, these evil reptilian overlords. And th those are both factored into the conspiratainment second matrix. That's, that's all very deliberate, in my opinion, and intentional, which makes me 
you know, I'm paranoid cubed, essentially. Uh, my paranoia is fully rounded to contradict, or to make it even more rounded because I'm square and I'm round. Uh, I, I'm able to perceive it from many different sides as well as internally. This is a great advantage that I have. I know how the social engineers think up to a point. So I can see their rationales and they really do believe they're doing it for the good of all. I, I, that's what I believe I can see. And uh, that's the only way to really understand the nature of the social, parapolitical, parasocial uh, manipulation, darkness, quote unquote, I would say is from the inside. Otherwise, we're, we're looking at it using the very lenses that we've been given by the social engineers. We've been culturally indoctrinated to think a certain way, including about the darkness, the control, the manipulations. Anyway, but and it was occurring to me that it's not just people who, who are already aligned with the mainstream and the official narrative of the uh, in a dominant culture, the superculture, who are huddling in the apparent safety of the Pfizer vaccine, for example, currently, but that's just a you know, kind of flashpoint that makes it very visible. But anyway, in the worship of the state, bowing down to the state, save us, save us. Um, it's not just the, the people who are always aligned with the mainstream and becoming more so. It's also, I've, I'm noticing, people who have gone too far down the conspiracy rabbit hole, they are so overwhelmed that they're somehow bouncing back into the mainstream without realizing it, but here's Lou. Under the rationale that, under the understanding of what I've just said, that the conspiracy mindset is something that's been... Um, somewhat generated for us it's a reciprocal symbiotic uh, <clears throat> perception management it's our perception that's being managed externally but we're obviously uh it's like the sleeping pods in the matrix they're generating the dream world to maintain the ai machine world um but they're also enslaved by it. So yeah, the perception managers manage our perception um, using us to do it. And then we become imprisoned by the perceptions that we've had managed for us, including the perception that our perception is being managed. So round and round it goes, we're caught in this thing. But anyway, so the realizations of this so people who've gone deeper into conspiracy than your average person, perhaps, or certainly your average person, but even your average researcher, or not researcher, consumer, um, having the penny starting to drop, oh, this is a second matrix, they, I'm, I'm just observing this, they then go to, well, okay, so the virus, the vaccine probably is perfectly harmless. We're just being tricked into fearing it with all these conspiracy narratives in order to control us, right? Which there's some, I mean, it's, it's partially credible. It's not credible if you look at the facts, but I mean, just as a theory, it's credible that that kind of theater is, is done and it's effective. Uh, and so, but that's just an example of the Pfizer, but just in general, 
the start people are starting to see wait i've been manipulated to believe in a conspiracy because it's a way to control me they're then bouncing back to uh the mainstream position better just trust the authorities not consciously they wouldn't do that consciously they've got these very elaborate rationales such as well we're all consciousness anyway so what's the difference that's that's on the spiritual spectrum as i'm noticing uh I, i've only just started becoming aware of this so i can't i can't talk about it too coherently but um the main point is this is quite remarkable to me that people who have been trying to come out of the first matrix through paranoid awareness they've entered into the second matrix of conspiratainment then they've started becoming aware of that so they think i've got to get out of the second matrix and because it's a revolving door system and it's a binary system there's only two matrices of deception needed or even possible i think they just flip back into the first matrix but they think they've gone they've got out they've transcended conspiracy consciousness now that they're wised up anyway i mean i'm generalizing it was, it was like one tweet from a guy interviewed me years ago that sort of tweaked me to this but also something that i talked about on the audio that somebody's uh somebody was talking about and the, the saturday event dave i think dave event that there just seemed to be a kind of double thing going on like well yes the vaccine is is being created by corrupt corporations with a profit motive and cutting all these corners and using human beings as guinea pigs but no it might be good for some people that's double thing and it's only really possible if your first matrix dwell you trust in the institutions so you say well okay maybe they're interested in profit but still they're medical establishments they must have a good uh, welfare at heart if you're in that delusional matrix or if you're in the uh, consciousness camp where you're saying well we can transcend all that doesn't really matter what they put in our bodies consciousness doesn't have a preference anyway and so let's just not think about it because it's dark and there's no solution which is sort of true the social level there's no solution and i can see why people are going mad if they are um because i've been feeling it even this week while some of you heard my audio my wife said that she didn't know what i was worried about she thought it was perfectly reasonable and but anyway uh, i felt uh, i was you know uh risking triggering people in a way i would rather not risk by being very strong by speaking very strongly but i, I was upset somewhat i was upset by hearing people's rationales that made no sense oh, i'll do terrible things to my body or i'll, I'll put my trust in in opera, uh, corporations and agendas uh, and and pseudo solutions that might do terrible harm to my body uh, because i love family members and i want to reassure them i i just find that to be deeply deeply disturbing anyway that was um that the context of that was how much darkness can we take i i i am willing to say to acknowledge that like like homeopathy you know the darkness of the the darkness of truth the truth of darkness as in the darker aspects of truth 
um, or reality should be measured very carefully, homeopathically. And, and I do have very high immunity to darkness, to what people call darkness, to what else to call it, uh, inconvenient truth. Obviously, I don't want to reference Al Gore's rhythms here. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that thing came with the email about the mad, the mad prophet and the gunslinger. I found that quite helpful in terms of you can't you can't distribute. It's not like handing out vaccines people aren't obviously the fake vaccines people aren't going to thank you and dance all the way you know back home and tell all their friends yay i got the miracle cure if you tell them a bit of truth they're not going to thank you and they're not going to be happy about it you might lose them as friends or family members we might so i think that applies to dave terms of what he's doing, he might lose a whole bunch of client um, participants. And, uh, and then it's true for me as well. Uh, although I'm a bit, I'm not so clear where I'm at because it's not as clear because Dave has taken a turn for the dark and some people do think it's my doing, which I, I do think is absurd. I think, I mean, I know it's absurd. It's like I said about Dave that it's not that Dave came and brought enlightenment into my life. It's that enlightenment was coming into my life and Dave came in, on the same wave. So it's the same as the darkness and Dave's thing. I didn't bring any darkness into Dave's thing. The darkness carried me to him. <laughs> Ironic, you know, light brought him to me and dark brought me to him. The yin and yang. So, and the darkness and the light is simply, to me, my mind is simply the conscious and unconscious. Of course, the conscious is better, quote unquote, than unconscious, but there's much more depth in the unconscious. Much more of us is unconscious. So there is more darkness, and it's it's a richer place to go because we already know what's in the conscious, and. Yeah, he's. I got an email just now from Dave saying that people were asking just for goodness and no nasty stuff. And I said, well, when people ask you for enlightenment, what do you say to them? Because he's talked about this and he, he just laughs. He says, they have no idea what they're asking for. So isn't it the same if people ask for, for just goodness? Do they really know what they're asking for? Because we don't know what would be goodness. Now, I'm going to wind up now, I think. And I didn't think I'd talk about my cat, but it's just come into my consciousness. He has, because he's he's gone again. He's gone five five days and five nights now. And that's the longest that he's ever been gone for. So, so now I do start to worry again. And... Um, but I, I, I feel, I trust that he and I, my cat and I, we have an agreement and we work together 
on this life existence. And so every other time he's gone missing, I've, I've known that it's, it's been, it's helped me to let go of him, to let go of my need to see my loved ones safe, to even see them alive, you know? the need for them to still be alive for me, uh, to go into a much, much deeper possibility of loving beyond death, you know, beyond safety, beyond personal enmeshment, personal, you know, reciprocity of needs and all of that stuff, a deeper, a deeper place. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm remembering that and remembering that the context also is if he's fine, then he's fine. He's in nature. He could go 20 miles away. He could spend three weeks and be having a wonderful time as a cat. And, and, and do I have to suffer that whole time? No, not really. I, I'd start to mourn him. I will start to mourn him if he stays much longer. And of course, my mind will go places and, and et cetera, et cetera. But, but anyway, he might, he might be fine he probably is fine i feel like he probably is fine uh and and then he's so he's doing what he should be doing so why why would i suffer for that reason well because i'm human and not a cat but anyway i mentioned it because what is goodness there is it goodness that he comes back or is it goodness that he stays away even if he dies that could open me up in a way to life and to my own feelings and to being here that I wouldn't have been able to open up to without that. So even if he dies uh, and I have to mourn, a week or a month or a year from now, I may look back and say, you did the right thing, life. So where's the goodness? Where's the darkness? If we invite goodness and we say we only want goodness, how do we know that God, Jehovah, whatever, not that they're synonymous, but I mean the powers that be, the real powers, um, won't treat us like Job and say, you're my favorite son. I love you so much and I believe in you so much. I'm going to make a bet with the devil that you're as good as I think you are. And then everything gets torn away from us everything that we care about. And that's God's goodness, apparently. Because the devil wouldn't have done anything if God didn't say, see my favorite son, do your worst. I mean, I know it's pretty fucked up if you, take, if you think too literally about it, but existence can unfold before us in very strange ways and our defended trauma-generated identity and maybe this is back to triggering and it has to be measured right. I mean, Job didn't renounce God. He did stay true. If God had let that happen to another servant, the servant would have ended up, you know, going postal and, and killing half the village and, and hating God. And that wouldn't have been such a good idea, would it? So, you know, beware of being the chosen one of God. Beware of asking for absolute goodness to to rain down upon you, because it might just seem like fire from heaven. Stay quiet. All unacceptable gropings have been removed from the screen.
full of unspeakable thoughts remain And even the silence in our guilty in me Sugar and margarine Empire of the senseless Bread, jam, groceries and lard For the unsentimental The men who like the lady hard The men who like the hard lady Steiner on the book of Revelation and feeling into my body and and tuning into Tuco and although well, this is this is the sixth day and night and the seventh wait no the sixth night five days and six nights they'd been gone so it crossed a, a line in terms of, of previous absences and I was thinking it was time to contact uh, a cat dowser that I know who, who tunes into people's cats to let owners know if they're alive or dead or whether out. Anyway, I was thinking about that and uh, Okay, I guess it's time. Um, in my mind, one of the things it was saying or said was, well, even if he does come back, it's like, if he's going to be going for such long periods, eventually he's going to get, he's not going to come back. Which wasn't really logical, but it was just because... The longer he was away, the more I feared he was dead. It just felt as though if this keeps happening, eventually he will end up dead because because my my fear increases the longer he's away. So there was a there was a kind of mental resistance 
to the whole situation and even resentment. But it was quite small, and as was the fear. And I kept checking with my body and checking with Tuco as far as I knew. I mean, just thinking about and focusing on Tuco as I know him physically and otherwise. And uh, I kept getting this signal that he was he was coming back and he would be back any time. And so I was really listening alertly. And I was telling myself, well, this is just wishful thinking because because he's been gone too long now and so you really need the reassurance and so you're just hoping and turning that into a belief. But one thing that I was less inclined to doubt was my body seemed to be communicating that he was okay. Like, I just felt completely fine in my body when I thought about him, and even when I was worrying about him, I'd check into the body and, no, he's fine, everything's fine. And then this other thing, he's, he's, he's going to be back any time now, any moment even. It was so strange. I mean, it, that's the way it turned out. It was so strange. Because... I really believed it, but I, it just didn't seem logical that I would know that, or that at the point that I really felt he needed to come back, he would come back. It seemed like it had to be wishful thinking. Uh, and, then it, and then the two things converged. Like the more I was like, yep, he's coming back. He's coming back any minute, any second. And then, was that a sound? Yep, that's probably him. Well, the other mind was just, this is ridiculous. Stop fantasizing. And then, and then, uh, I mean, the belly was a sound. Then uh, he jumped onto the bed. And he's perfectly fine, doesn't have a scratch on him. Well, he might under the fur, but like, obvious. It's like a miracle. That he's back isn't really a miracle, but that... And I don't even think I called him back. There's a little bit of that. I was just like, okay, come on back now and just let me know. But it wasn't a strong call. It felt like a mutual coming back together. It's just incredible. And I was listening to uh, Steiner and the Revelation, and it's all about animals. He's doing all about animals and how as we purify ourselves, become more spiritually oriented beings, Christ aligned, uh, we're purging out the aspects of us that correspond with our animal nature and with each of the animals. So each of the animals comes into form as we as humans shed those particular aspects of our nature. Now we retain the qualities, but we shed the the uh, I'm not sure what the difference is there, but we shed something that corresponds with those animals as we become more refined, but we retain the positive qualities anyway.
of those animals. And uh, well, I guess I won't go into more because it will digress from the main thing I want to do. Yeah. This is that. Two goes back, and I knew it. We're in synchronization and harmony. It's like Tuco is the part of me that I've integrated and purified and externalized. We are one. It's uh, 11.30 in the morning. It's cold. I'm walking. My poncho my beanie Duco has gone again he stayed uh, well he I fed him five six in the morning uh, and then he didn't come back to bed right away which he usually does and I drifted off to sleep Thing. and then he came, he did get on the bed and then he climbed on top of me my chest and I slept, we slept like that for a while and then uh, I woke up again around 8 and uh, he, so he was nestling very contentedly and he uh, he was sleeping deeply and dreaming and twitching and his mouth was twitching and his legs were twitching and he was kind of rolled half over his belly showing and his head curled in that very blissfully comfortable relaxed way that cats can be and you can feel how content he was to be there and uh, it was a lovely experience and I was reminded of Manuel the farmer who keeps telling me I should get a dog and when I have a house I'll get a dog and that cats are not the same, that cats are fickle, they don't I can't remember the exact words he used now in Spanish, but they don't, uh, they don't uh, give any kind of love, they're untrustworthy, and uh, as the example goes, they'll eat you when you're dead, eat your corpse, but other things just how they... They're just not really interested in bonding. I don't think I've done. Anyway, I said, well, you don't know my cat. And that seemed to shut him up. And uh, I was thinking, it, it was kind of odd that Tuco had been away for uh, six nights, five days, six nights. And so completely independent. And it really did seem as though if he was alive, he might not come back for two weeks and he might never come back to be away that long it really uh, means 
he's uh, he doesn't need to come back at all so that he came back and was so loving and behaving so much like a domestic cat struck me as kind of odd he would somehow be have these two sides because that came up in the constellation I did around Tuco that he has two sides a wild side and a tame side I guess his wild side is becoming more developed more liberated but his tame side although it's being reduced in time at least the time I get to be with him or he with me uh, it might not be being reduced in intensity and depth and maybe there's a parallel in there for myself <clears throat> I took Ashley to see the horse yesterday uh, the camera she filmed me with a horse thought everyone might like it and uh Yeah, definitely developing relation with this horse different each time getting to know it better and more comfortable with one another um, and, and this morning I was listening to Stein on the book of Revelation and he's talking about the, uh, the animals representing parts of human the human being that the human being who's uh spiritually evolving unfortunate term but can't think of another one uh, is integrating fully those animal aspects of his being retaining the essence of them while, while uh, purging himself of the rest becoming less and less animalistic and he said that the the quality of intelligence for human beings was came from horses or, or corresponded with horses anyway and so man's connection to horses was was key and throughout the history of men and horses have had this symbiotic relationship hence the centaur image and also in the book of Revelation the white horse signifies the fully spiritualized intelligence spiritualized in the way Steiner uses it I use, I've used that term in a derogatory sense but there are obviously other ways one could use it as in becoming more refined purified aligned with the divine angelic frequency so that was all very interesting of course because well we've got this horse thing going on and even the Clint thing even wanting to maybe take care of a horse find a horse, ride a horse etc and I do feel that my mind has been changed I need something to change your mind. Mind! 
and I think something's going on there with Tuco and I that I had to be neutral enough to whether he came back or not or lived or died even which is which is quite a that's quite a leap a leap of faith and awareness in order to be able to tune into him and know where he was and that he was okay and that he was coming back or to invite him back. It was probably a bit of both. I was saying, come in, Tuco, come in, do you read me? And, uh, and so then he came in. He literally came in and, and so I knew he was coming because I knew he was receiving my signal but also I was receiving his signal so I knew he was okay and so he was coming in in that subtler sense and so he could come in in a physical sense it's almost like an apparition now because it was in the dark of the early morning the dark of dawn, darkness of dawn and uh, uh, I just got to feed him and then and then a couple of hours sleeping together and uh, and then he was gone. So if it weren't for the evidence of the empty tuna can and the bowl on the floor, because Ashley didn't see him, I, I might suspect it was a it was a visitation from the other side. So it's, oh gosh, it's uh, mystical cat stuff. It's, it's subtle and abstract love that has the flesh and blood component but almost doesn't need it. Or it's almost, it doesn't depend on it. It doesn't depend on it. So it's not almost, is it? It doesn't need it. This is where this is where we are going. I mean, it's the only it's the only direction and orientation that there is that's safe is into the human energy field awakening to the human energy field, what that really is, which can't be described in three words or a million words. Going home, coming home, back to reality. reality of the body and what's on the other side of the threshold of the the nervous system what's under the surface the interconnectivity of heaven heaven is underground it's an underground movement
coming up like the flowers that come through concrete and society it's, it's so paradoxical it's hell that followed after the pale horse it's coming for us hell is coming health also is coming Helle to heal Jason the healer he who brings hell into society to bring it out to, to loose hell is to finally lose hell and find heaven. That's the end of my musings and meanderings from Galicia, Spain. If you're interested in hearing the full, more or less, audio of the men's meet, then you have to find your way under, through, around, or over the play wall, uh, which you can do by contacting me, introducing yourself to me jason at protonmail.com uh, you'll also need an encrypted email account a brief word about that uh, the way I look at Proton Mail, I'm aware that it's probably some sort of honeypot for intelligence gathering but it's not as bad as Google so I see it as a methadone program just to help people get off the mainstream corporate software and onto a relatively more secure platform uh, as a transition to some real kind of secure internet interaction or maybe there will be no internet that's safe at all in which case get back to the land anyway that's what you'll need to cross the play wall if you haven't already and uh, listen to the hidden podcast from the men's group. If you've already done that, it's the same password as Jesus was a carpenter. Too deep